From the State Capitol, WFSU Public Media brings you Capitol Report. The debate rages on in Tallahassee about giving grown-ups unrestricted access to social media while keeping it off limits to kids. You have the United States government in there supporting the big tech companies fighting against Florida. Also this week, what to do about unhoused people? The question has been inflaming passions on all sides in the Florida Capitol. So we just push people, we push you, we push them out versus bring them in for support and services. We'll also check out the latest tries by state lawmakers to take over decisions once left to local governments. And we'll touch base with one of the most experienced journalists in the Capitol Press Corps. Just one more week to go in the 2024 Florida lawmaking session. I'm Tom Flanagan, and this is Capitol Report. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. Florida State University, a preeminent institution. FSU specialty license plates support scholarships for deserving students who enrich and contribute to our state and nation. More on FSU specialty plates is at fsu.edu slash mytag. And from HR Florida State Council, affiliate of the Society of Human Resource Management advocating for the workplace on behalf of 16,000 human resource professionals and 6,300 Florida employers. HR Florida State Council. More at hrflorida.org. Governor DeSantis has vetoed the controversial bill restricting kids under the age of 16 from accessing social media. It comes the same week the U.S. Supreme Court heard a challenge to existing laws in Florida and Texas that block social media companies from limiting adult speech on their platforms. As Adrian Andrews explains, both moves are part of growing frustration with social media companies to properly regulate themselves. Regulating social media has been a recurring theme for the Florida legislature. Just last week, state lawmakers passed a bill that requires tech companies to shut down social media accounts held by young teens, which some people argue is a free speech and parental rights violation. Now Florida, along with Texas, is defending itself in court for allegedly violating online platforms' First Amendment rights. You have the United States government in there supporting the big tech companies fighting against Florida. Florida's Attorney General Ashley Moody recently made those comments outside the U.S. Supreme Court. The high court heard a complaint against Florida and Texas that stems from a 2021 law that restricts companies like Facebook and Instagram from having the power to pick which user content they promote. DeSantis believes politicians were being, quote, shadow banned and censored for simply expressing their political views and says it was part of a political agenda to keep Democrats in office. We are protecting Floridians' ability to speak and express their opinions. This will lead to more speech, not less speech. Florida has carried its feud with social media companies until this year, but instead of it being about political freedom, it's now geared towards protecting the mental health of children. The proposal effectively bans minors under 16 from social media platforms and is spearheaded by Florida House Speaker Paul Renner. We need to take a close look at the consequences of social media, as well as the um, far too easy access for young kids, and I mean like six-year-olds, to access hardcore pornography. Again, the rules for adults are for adults, but for kids, that's not appropriate. 
Renner's attempts haven't exactly gone smoothly. Opponents, most prominently Governor Ron DeSantis, have fretted about the lack of parental input in the bill. As much as I think it's harmful to have people on, on these social media platforms for, for five or six hours a day, you know, a parent can supervise a, a, a kid to use it more sparingly. DeSantis has vetoed the bill and now lawmakers are trying to rework it. But even as they do that, a big issue hangs over both the U.S. Supreme Court and the state of Florida. How far can governments go in regulating private social media companies? Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor thinks Florida is pushing its limits. At what point in a challenge like this one does the law become so generalized, so broad, so unspecific that you bear the burden of coming in and telling us what exactly the sweep is. I'm Adrian Andrews. Unhoused people could have to seek shelter in locally designated camps or shelters and would be banned from sleeping at other public property. The proposal is gaining steam in the legislature despite Democrats decrying the bill as cruel and inhumane. We get more on that from Lynn Hatter. According to a November 2023 federal report, more than 21,000 Floridians were unhoused that year. A majority of them, some 12,000, slept outside. During recent years, the issue has become more visible and has generated local pushback as communities grapple with how best to address it. Candidly, members, my district is incredibly diverse. We have some of the richest zip codes and we have folks who are living under I-4. No one wants to see anyone live under I-4. Nobody wants to see a homeless encampment, whether it's on a public space, a private space, or in the woods. Representative Anna Escamani's Orlando district recently saw one of its homeless shelters burn down. In Florida's capital city and county, commissioners have posted signs telling people to not give money to those who are panhandling. A legislative proposal lawmakers are considering bans municipalities from allowing people to sleep in public places like buildings and sidewalks unless they designate an official space that has access to services like sanitation and mental health care. We're not going to have our public library. We're not going to have our city halls. We're not going to have um, our public roadways. Our, everything from the sidewalks across the street turned into de facto homeless camps. We're just not going to have that. That's Republican Representative Sam Garrison. His proposal also places strings on the designated public camping sites themselves. They can't cause losses to residential or commercial property value, cannot be near residential neighborhoods, and can only be set up if there are not enough open beds in the county shelter. I don't know what who good enough to stay in one of these city designated areas. What are you going to send to the dump? Leon County Commissioner Bill Proctor's sentiments are shared by Escamani and other lawmakers who are concerned it only moves the problem out of sight. So we just push people, we push people, we push them out versus bring them in for support and services. But Garrison argues something has to change. So all options are on the table um, so long as the status quo is not an option. I'm Len Hatter. A bill that would invalidate local minimum wage and heat ordinances has passed the Florida House. Tristan Wood reports the measure blocks local governments from passing labor requirements for contractors. Under current state law, local municipalities cannot pass minimum wage ordinances, but they can create requirements for businesses looking to take on public contracts. That includes stipulating that businesses must pay a living wage, or give a certain number of water breaks if there is a heat wave. 
Several cities and counties like Gainesville and Miami-Dade have those rules. But the Florida House voted along party lines to ban those types of ordinances, preempting all contractor regulation to the state. Democrats like Orlando Representative Anna Escamani opposed the bill. So I celebrate local governments that want to champion that, who go up against a special interest to try to champion that, because that's who's against it, right? Our large corporate actors or large special interests who don't want to deal with that type of red tape, which I see as just safety. But Republicans believe local labor ordinances create a piecemeal regulation environment for businesses. Naples representative and business owner Bob Rommel says that makes Florida a worse environment for employers. The reason we here are trying to preempt the 360-some municipalities from having 361 different rules is so we can have continuity in business. Without continuity in business, businesses will not come to Florida. People will stop coming to Florida. Miami Democratic Representative Ashley Gant disagreed. She says a priority in local regulation should be creating the best outcomes for workers and their families, not just creating the optimal business environment. Private companies do not have an unmitigated right to do business with the government. So the notion of free market doesn't hold muster when we're talking about people being able to afford to pay their rent, pay their mortgage, or even provide food and groceries for their families. Republican Representative Tiffany Esposito says her bill will help employees by creating the conditions for employers to thrive. The businesses are the ones who provide those jobs. The businesses are the ones who are providing the dollars in order for people to put food on their tables. We have to protect jobs if we want the economic prosperity that we continue to see in Florida. While the House is trying to prevent both labor and heat regulations, the Senate's bill is smaller in scope. It only preempts heat ordinances. Time is running out on them to reach agreement. I'm Tristan Wood. Last year, after the hottest summer in Florida's history, advocates in South Florida pushed for protections for outdoor workers, including mandatory shaded water breaks on hot days. Now efforts to block heat protection ordinances are moving forward in Tallahassee. The legislation would prevent local governments from enacting heat protection regulations for outdoor workers if those measures go beyond federal rules. Last fall, Miami-Dade County commissioners discussed enacting a heat protection ordinance, which was tabled for March. As Valerie Crowder reports for WLRN, passing this legislation would prevent the commission from taking up the measure again. Several farm workers from Homestead traveled to the Florida Capitol recently to make their voices heard. They're from the Farm Workers Association of Florida. The group visited the offices of State House Commerce Committee members. They're here to speak against the heat stress preemption. We know the representative's not here, but if you could leave this with them and just make sure that they read it and, you know, are supportive of us. Typed in all caps are the words, please vote no, at the top of the page, and the words, workers have died, several lines down. 37-year-old Teresa Chalk works for the Farm Workers Association. She says the majority of farm workers suffer, but we suffer in silence. Chalk says she often hears stories from farm workers who have experienced headaches, nausea, vomiting, fainting, and other signs and symptoms of heat illness. Some workers have died on the job. 
Chalk tells the story of a man who was in his late 20s and died from a heat stroke while working in lychee fields in South Florida last summer. Y el jefe de él, pues eso obviamente, pues le dijo, pues apúrense a trabajar y se fue. Entonces, el compañero le dijo, mira, descansa un rato. She says, the boss, of course, saw what happened and told them to hurry up and get back to work. Then his co-worker said, look, rest and drink water and take some ice. Then his co-worker went to get more water and ice for him. The young man took off his shirt and tried to find shade before collapsing on the ground. When his colleague returned with the ice, he found him dead. Chalk explains many people who work in the fields face the same fate. Miami-Dade County commissioners are trying to put in place local heat protection measures for thousands of outdoor workers. We have seen record, I mean, record-shattering heat in Miami-Dade County. That's County Commissioner Marlene Bastien speaking at a commission meeting last November. Bastien co-sponsored the proposed ordinance, which is on the agenda for the county commissioner's meeting in mid-March. It would guarantee construction and agriculture workers access to shade, water, and paid 10-minute rest breaks every two hours on days when the temperature reaches 95 degrees or hotter. As elected officials, we have a moral duty to protect our most vulnerable constituents and this Miami-Dade heat standard will do just that. Opponents have been pushing back, with industry groups now taking the fight to the Republican-controlled legislature. GOP State Senator Jay Trumbull of Panama City is sponsoring a measure that would prevent local governments from adopting heat safety rules like those under consideration in Miami-Dade County. There are lots of businesses that have employees that operate in all corners of our state. And the intent is to make sure that we don't have a patchwork of regulation, that there's a uniform standard. And that uniform standard in this bill says that we're going to follow OSHA's rule. Trumbull was referring to the Federal Occupational Safety and Health Administration's general duty rule, which states employers must provide workplaces that are, quote, free from recognized hazards that are causing or are likely to cause death or serious physical harm. That includes extreme heat. But workers' advocates say this rule is hardly enforced. Esteban Wood is the policy director for We Count, an immigrant worker advocacy group in South Florida. We don't have an OSHA field office in Miami-Dade County. The closest OSHA field office is in Fort Lauderdale. And we know, and, and, and they can tell you, that they simply do not have the resources or the manpower to be able to investigate every farm, field, and construction site in the state of Florida. Wood says it makes sense for this issue to be addressed at the local level, considering the differences in climate between the northern and southern regions of the state. It is absolutely asinine that we have legislators in Tallahassee dictating what local communities should be deciding in their own backyards. Democrats have introduced legislation that would put in place statewide heat safety protections, but it hasn't moved. Democratic State Representative Ashley Gant of Miami says she isn't surprised given the Republican supermajority's track record. Corporations and their bottom line or their ability to make more money is what's prioritized over everyday people, over constituents. Gantt says she hopes voters are paying attention and urges them to cast their ballots in state legislative races in November. I'm Valerie Crowder in Tallahassee. 
The 2024 Florida lawmaking session now on its last legs, and John Kennedy, Gannett and USA Today's man at the Capitol, joins us on Capitol Report to kind of give us his take on how things have been uh, going on this session. John, any big surprises from where you sit, or did things kind of proceed along the trajectory that going into this session you thought they were going to go? Well, I guess maybe one of the surprises is the fact that a lot of the uh, big-thinking ideas that were being proposed have sort of faded away here as we get toward the home stretch. Uh, you know, as we've seen lately, uh, a lot of uh, uh, culture war legislation uh, always introduced, uh, or, you know, in advance of the session, uh, especially the House uh, Republicans are big at, uh, there was efforts to try to ban Confederate uh, monument removal by local governments. Uh, to ban pride flags uh, that could be displayed at governments or schools. And uh, a lot of those kind of bills seem to be uh, taken off the table, especially by Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo. The other factor, of course, is the governor. The governor is not the factor that he was a year ago when we remember uh, he was leading up to his the launch of his presidential campaign uh, in May. Um, and he had a very aggressive uh, agenda going into last year's legislative session. Uh, heading into this year's legislation session in January, the governor was in Iowa, and that was where his focus was. So he wasn't really involved, and uh, he still remains only kind of you know marginally involved maybe right now. You bring up a good point, John, in that uh, election year politics generally plays more than just a passing role in most legislative sessions. And as far as House and Senate members who are facing re-election campaigns here in the next several months, do they, to your way of thinking, have enough to leverage into those campaigns to tell the folks back home, hey, I, I tried to do what everyone wanted, but either you know it was stopped cold in Tallahassee or we pushed it over the finish line and you need to return me to office? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, th- there is that, that uh, the, the sponsors of these bills, if they really wanted it and they feel like it represents the, the voters that they're appealing to, they can say they tried and, uh, you know, the system worked against them and they weren't able to get this across the finish line. I think, of, for example, there was, a, uh, you know, a, a legislation uh, sponsored by Senator Erin Grohl from uh, Vero Beach area, Republican. She has been very active on efforts to limit abortion access over the last couple of years. And uh, this year she had legislation that was going to allow for um, civil lawsuits to be filed in the event of a, a fetal death. Uh, you know, through accident, wrongdoing of some kind. And uh, this uh, stirred a lot of concerns about whether this was an effort to possibly criminalize doctors, uh, you know, that performed legal abortions. She was attempting to say no and that it wasn't going to be, uh, you know, directed at, at those uh, health care providers. But uh, what really derailed the legislation in the end was this Alabama Supreme Court ruling related to in vitro fertilization because that became part of the discussion, too. But again, it's one of those issues that for an Erin Grohl, she is clearly uh, an anti-abortion uh, advocate, and uh, there's her uh, legislation that she tried to push, push across the finish line. It has since been, you know, kind of shelved because of the controversies around it. 
And then, of course, on the other side, folks that are abortion rights advocates are going to point to that as a reason not to reelect Aaron Grohl uh, come November. Something for everyone, kind of. But I know that one of the priorities of House Speaker Renner going into this session was maybe to kind of whittle away again at the uh, ongoing rise in uh, property insurance rates here in Florida and get more people out of the insurer of last resort citizens property insurance. They they barely touched on that this session. Yeah, they're pointing to some progress that there is some uh, reduction in the number of uh, new policies flowing into citizens. But uh, really about the only uh, tangible thing that we're going to see out of this session related to uh, property insurance seems to be there's going to be a modest tax break uh, passed on to uh, property insurance policyholders, um, you know, maybe about $60 uh, when you renew your uh, property insurance policy, which the industry uh, has already acknowledged the rate of increase that you're going to be facing this year is going to far surpass that $60 savings you're going to get. So um, it's not going to really play much for many uh, Floridians. But uh, this was a tax break that the governor wanted. And uh, the House and Senate have finally included it in their tax break packages. But even that was a little bit of a struggle for the governor to get that into the uh, final tax reduction plan. So uh, that's another uh, example of uh, DeSantis's, you know, maybe waning influence over these uh, super Republican majorities in the House and Senate. The scheduled end of the 2024 Florida legislative session just about a week away. And John Kennedy with Gannett USA Today uh, bringing us up to speed on his perception of how this session has gone with just one more week to go. Thanks so much, John. Thank you, Tom. You're listening to Capital Report from WFSU Public Media. I'm Tom Flanagan. Finally this week. Men who suffered abuse at two former state reform schools have been coming to the Capitol for 16 years. They're seeking restitution for the wrongs they endured in state custody. As Gina Jordan reports, this may finally be the year they get what they've long sought. And a note, this story contains graphic details about physical and sexual abuse. I'll be 77 years old. I was a 12-year-old boy when I was sent to the It was at that time called the Florida School for Boys. Charles Fudge says on his third day at what became known as the Dozier School for Boys, he was hit 31 times with a leather strap. You can only imagine what that does to the bottom of a 12-year-old boy. I've lived with this for 65 years. It's something that doesn't go away and never will. A group of victims known as the White House Boys, all former students at the Dozier School in the Panhandle, watched as the House passed their compensation bill. Escambia County Republican Representative Michelle Salzman acknowledged their long wait. Thousands of young boys from across the state of Florida were sent to the juvenile detention center for over 100 years. During that time, there were hundreds of documented cases of physical assault, torture, rape, and even death. But the school remained open. In 2017, the state officially apologized for the abuse. The legislature approved spending over a million dollars for burials and memorials for Dozier victims. But only now are lawmakers finally getting close to providing some restitution. Proposed legislation would set aside $20 million to compensate surviving victims of the Okeechobee and Mariana sites for what they endured decades ago. 
they chose this place called the White House to do the abuse, and there were two rape rooms and two beating rooms. And the children, the children lived every night in their beds, wondering if they were going to be the one ripped out of their bed and taken to the White House. Attorney Troy Rafferty represents some of the victims. He addressed the Senate Fiscal Policy Committee, the last opportunity for the public to comment on the bill. When we talk about beatings or abuse, I just want the committee members to understand what you're talking about. They used the same weapon every time. It was a 20-inch mallet with a leather strap attached to the end with metal rivets so that when they hit the children, it would rip their flesh. Rafferty told the committee that over 180 students registered at Dozier remain unaccounted for. That's in addition to more than 50 unmarked graves and unidentified human remains found at the sites. 180 kids plus 55, do the math. That is the worst atrocity to ever happen to kids in this country history. At age 67, Ralph Freeman told lawmakers he's the youngest of the Dozier survivors seeking justice. I'm a United States Marine, and I don't have nightmares about the things they made me do in Cuba. I have nightmares about the things that was done to me in Dozier. When I couldn't defend myself, where was our protection? We was put in the hands of the state of Florida. The main Dozier site in Mariana held various names during its 111-year history, including the Florida State Reform School. Troubled children and teens were supposed to get training and education there. A report from the University of South Florida Libraries says children were originally sent there for criminal offenses such as theft and murder, but the law was later changed to add minor offenses like truancy. 1245, one night I can remember just like it was yesterday, they came in, in the morning and pulled me out of bed and took me down to the White House and raped me at 14 years old. Cecil Gardner is a disabled Marine Corps veteran. He says he still sees the scars when he takes a shower. He told the Senate panel he never knew why the beatings happened, except for one time when he talked to a white student in the segregated school. I've been living this day in and day out. How can grown men be put in a position to take care of young children? to rehabilitate them, and yet they end up abusing them. If the legislation is approved, it would become one of many claims bills passed in Florida. A claims bill enables someone to get money from the government if they've been harmed by the government. Under this bill, the Department of Legal Affairs would review the applications and determine whether a claim should be paid. It also allows the Commissioner of Education to award a standard high school diploma to those compensated in the program. Before the final vote in the House, Representative Michelle Salzman recounted her own history of abuse. And there's no words to describe what it's like to be a young child and be ripped out of bed in the middle of the night from somebody that's supposed to be protecting you and taking care of you and beaten and sexually abused on a regular basis. Salzman then spoke directly to the victims watching in the gallery. What happened to you was not your fault. And today, your Florida legislature is going to put their money where their mouth is and their vote where their heart is. And today, you will have justice. You have been heard. 
The bill passed 116 to 0. The Senate is scheduled to take up its version of the bill on Monday. I'm Gina Jordan. Our regular Capitol Report correspondents are Adrian Andrews, Lynn Hatter, Regan McCarthy, Margie Menzel, and Tristan Wood. Thanks also to Valerie Crowder. Technical support for Capitol Report comes from Evan Rossi, and I'm Tom Flanagan. Join us again next week online and on air for more reports from the state capitol. Funding for Capital Report is provided by the following. The Florida AFL-CIO, representing over 1 million union members, retirees, and their families, committed to building a better future for all Floridians by promoting healthy communities, economic justice, and dignity in the workplace. Online at flaflcio.org. And from Florida State University, a preeminent institution. FSU specialty license plates support scholarships for deserving students who enrich and contribute to our state and nation. More on FSU specialty plates is at fsu.edu slash mytag. Capital Report is a production of WFSU Public Media in Tallahassee.